This is The Process on Sirius XM Stars. Offering guidance and insight into the college admissions process. Now, here are Eric J. Ferda and Eileen cunningham Fikins. Welcome to The Process on Sirius XM Stars. Eric Ferda, Dean of Admissions at the University of Pennsylvania here in New York. In New York. And I'm Eileen cunningham Fikins, Director of College Counseling at the Dwight Englewood School in Englewood, New Jersey. What's your name? <laughs> Director of College Counseling, what's your name? <laughs> Welcome to The Process. We dive into the journey of the college admissions process at any point in which you find yourself as a student, a parent, a college counselor. We're sitting here in the final weekend of February. That's crazy. Is it but crazy? It is a short month. Short month, right? non leap year. Non leap, but we're ready to leap in to questions. We really people are. People have, and I know that we have some people who have left voicemails for we're, us. We're going to roll through those. Give us a call, 866-993-8267, 866-993-8267, or an email at theprocess@seriousxm.com. So many ways to contact us. I know. And you know what? Give me a shout out today at Dean Ferda on Twitter. Oh my God! Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> little little self promo, you know, sharing the knowledge, the college knowledge. So, and actually, let's speak about college knowledge because the let's second half do. of the show, I'm really excited about. As families are listening to us, as you're listening to us, wanting to know how do I navigate this college process? The second half of the show, Eileen, you know what we're going to do? Yeah, I do. But why don't you tell everyone else? Oh, that's right. We already talked about it. We did talk about this already. (laughs) We're not that spontaneous. Is we're basically going to have a sophomore junior parent college night like we do all over. I travel all all over over the world. You have it at the Dwight Englewood School. I do. It's well. Why don't you explain what that what you tried to achieve with that type of night? Different schools have different ways of doing it. I think what we're trying to achieve is giving the parents an opportunity to hear directly from deans and directors and other professionals within the college admissions world from a variety of schools. I know at Dwight, this year we're doing it on April 15th, uh, tax day. To to take people's minds off of money, you're going to have a college night. Yeah, because tuition is free, right? Um, No, but we'll have over 100 colleges on campus that night. That's amazing. Um, We'll have panels for parents, and those panels are, are comprised of four to six admissions professionals. And students will have an opportunity to meet with admissions um, representatives at a variety of colleges. More like a college fair setup later? Yeah. Okay. yeah. But we're doing it so that the parents will be at the panel so the students will feel empowered without having their parents right next to them to go and talk to these admissions professionals on their own, and right. then the parents join them. We, we really want to plant that seed in the student's mind that they're the driver That's of this fantastic. process. You know, And so we've, we've done it that way for a few years. We love it. We also learn new things about the schools that come visit us. And a lot of the times, the, stu- the schools that come visit us for college night, um, as you know, many colleges have different regional territories. And That's so right. there's one or two readers for a particular geographic territory. Those... So you're getting to know reps. your admission officer exactly. in some And they're ways, getting an to know us. They're getting to know our school, what right. we're all about. So they'll come back and recruit individually for their institutions in the fall. So this gives our juniors at least two opportunities to meet with those individual representatives, both in the college fair format, which can be a little chaotic, let's face oh, absolutely. it. Absolutely. It's more of a... But also one-on-one when they come back to recruit next fall. So it's it's a good send-off, I think. It's the end, one of the last events that we have for our juniors after our college knowledge course. And that course is a weekly course that is designed to introduce the students to every aspect of the college application process. What would be some of the topics? You know, so as, if you're sitting and well, listening right now to Sirius XM stars 
Mars 109, what are the topics that they should think about if they didn't have the opportunity, quite honestly, to be at a Dwight Angle with school and with someone like you? Um, well, the first thing we ask students to do is to reflect. Why do they want to go to college? Do they want to go to college? Um, what are they hoping to gain? What are those things that are filling them with a little bit of excitement or apprehension? My first classes are meeting next week. We're going to be doing a transcript exercise. Um, and in that transcript exercise, we show students transcripts from previous year's students. Obviously, Amazing. they're, you know, private. We don't tell the students who these transcripts belonged to, but also test scores. And then we show them where those students applied and the outcomes what on those insight. applications. It's a little unnerving, um, but also very exciting. And we're hoping that it, it emphasizes the need to really construct a well-balanced list so that that, that list that, that has really a lot of different schools. And right? I think we always need to uh, emphasize it's you know putting that list together, six to eight schools. But what number do you actually recommend? I I think the average number of apps per student last year was seven at seven. Dwight Angwood, okay. but it hovers around seven to nine depending on the year. Which is manageable, right? I think, in some ways. I think ways. so. And manageable to be able to really dedicate yourself to those applications and focus strongly on answering those questions, whether it's a supplemental essay or the actual common app personal statement, answering it with authenticity. That's right. Right? That's right. I tell the Your students all the time, because I'm starting to meet my juniors, they're adorable, love them, Team <laughs> Fikens. Um, the biggest time component, the biggest time um, allotment they're going to spend in the next year on this process is figuring out what schools earn a spot on their list. I love it. Right? It's a great To framing. get them to shift their thinking instead of, oh, am I going to get into who were, earns the the right to have me apply. <laughs> that, that, that's that and the essays, right? Those are the two major time um, takers. That's right. Right? Because their transcript is pretty much done by the time they apply. They can't go back and reinvent right. what they Just got stay, in you know, a course. Keep it in front of you, though. Right. Yeah, through, and testing, of course. Um, so you bring up testing. So there's oh, a yeah. March administration of the SAT, SAT, I believe, right? Yep. It, when's the ACT? Do you have that off I the wanna, top of your head? I want to say it might be even this weekend. No kidding. It might be, yeah. Here you go. So the decision of, on which t test to take, right. are students grounded in one way? At Penn, about half of our applicant pool is taking each, so ACT and SAT. And you know some students are going to take both. You don't want to become fatigued, just like applying no. to too many schools. You can't take the test so many times. You know, Any and advice I think that, that you have around I that? do. I, I think, uh, and you, first of all, for parents listening, the ACT was much more regionalized. That's right. Um, a few, if you were from Iowa when you were our age, yeah, maybe you or, of it. or Michigan or Illinois, you took the ACT. Now, I would say at least half of the students at Dwight, if not more, See? are taking ACT. So Northern New Jersey, national. right outside of New York City. Half and of just them are so taking it. people understand, colleges, and you can you can back me on this area. Eric, they don't necessarily prefer one test over another. Our policy is take either or. Mm -hmm. There's no no favoritism over right. one test no or the preference. other. They are different tests, and you want to take a look and try to determine what it is that you're gaining from that information in relationship to the high school transcript. Right. And the transcript is the most important document. Courses and grades. Courses right? and grades. Level of rigor and performance in that rigor. That's right. That's going to be the most important highlight in an application. Um, what you asked about what my recommendation is, I think students should sit for a mock ACT and a mock SAT and then figure out, based on how they performed, which one really felt 
right for them because the timing is different. The way the questions are phrased are different. Under real testing conditions, absolutely, too, right? absolutely. So set that kitchen timer or you know mm-hmm. whatever the phone timer and really take it in a simulated um, space and in timing, and then they can make an educated decision instead of you know bifurcating their effort and diminishing it. That's right. There's so much for us to cover, Eileen. I'm really excited that we're going to head into break, but we want to call 866-993-8267. The process will be right back. You're listening to The Process on Sirius XM Stars, offering guidance and insight into the college admissions process. Here again are Eric J. Furda and Eileen cunningham Fikins. Welcome back to The Process on Sirius XM Stars. Eric Furda, Dean of Admissions at the University of Pennsylvania. And Eileen cunningham Fikens, Director of College Counseling at the Dwight Englewood School in Englewood, New Jersey. We have a theme to our music today, Eileen. We do. We know what the theme is, we don't do. we? We do. So we just had a little Pink Floyd on, mm-hmm. and we have two more songs, which I would stay and listen to the show just for those two songs. Well, they are pretty good songs, They right? are. And the theme is that, and maybe we can get, Scott, maybe someone can email the process at SiriusXM.com, right? Right. Scott's our producer for those people who are hey, not in the studio with us, so just as you know. we're going to roll over. We were going to have a, a serious XM swag gift from the last show. What, yep. was, what was the theme from the last show? Fly. Fly. We played Given to Fly. Right. Everything yeah. had to do with fly soaring by night, and fly. You know, right? We threw a little Foo Fighters in there. So we have a question for this week. We do have a question for this week. And the question is, on what... Sirius XM station, are you most likely to hear the music that we play during the process today? And your first hint was Pink Floyd. Maybe if someone really gets in touch with us right now, I mean, we'll just, this, it'll all go. It'll, it'll all, go. all go. So the process, we're here to help you in the college admissions process. And our next show is the last weekend of March. Here we are at the last weekend of February. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. think about this. If you call us, or email us to the email we just gave you. The process at SiriusXM.com. That that is. That Mm -hmm. is it. So if you leave us a message or shoot us an email, the last weekend of March, you can get all your friends around a table, hang out, (laughs) literally hang out, and hear yourself on SiriusXM. That's pretty cool. Asking a question. Better yet, better yet, if a student calls... Okay. And has a question. There you go. I love that. We love hearing from students. We're going to give you something special. Well, we're going to give you something special, but here's something else to keep in mind. What's that? So our next broadcast is the last week of March. Last weekend of March, yes. Okay. So here's something that's really interesting in terms of the college process. That's right. The last weekend in March is huge in college admissions circles because this is when colleges are sending out decisions on their regular decision applications. The Ivy League schools will post on March 28th at 7 p.m. So, so those that final eight weekend, schools will do those it eight then. Schools. Um, MIT, Pi Day. Pi Day. I mean, what's more memorable 14, than that? Right? Shout out to Stu I Schmel. love that they do that. Um, but this is a It's big... very in line with their culture. <laughs> you think? It makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense. What is the square root of pi? Um, but this is this is big for high school seniors and their families around the country, around the world. This is a huge weekend. It is. The only students who aren't really dialed in are those students who have already committed 
under an early decision binding That's plan. Right. Right. And and we right now our students are hearing back from their E D two schools. I, I noticed that at Penn because students who get an E D two, they then are required to withdraw their other applications. Right. And so really happy for those students that were admitted under E D two. They pulled their application out of Penn, sad to see them go, while happy for them that they have that opportunity. And it's so that, great that's really that what's happening this they past were week quick for us. To pull those out. That's big too. And you inform them as the director of college yes. counseling at Dwight Englewood School, they're that's required, their obligation. Right. They're required to do that. But even when a student has been admitted to a non-binding early action school and they know that they'd rather attend that school. Will some students withdraw at that point? Oh, yeah. They'll withdraw from regular decision schools. And I want to save my colleagues on the college side from reading applications that are not necessarily going to um, produce an enrolled student upon admission. That, that's right. right? So, and the you students know, and families, they could really have that finality, too, to some degree. They have a sense of closure. Um, also, ethically, I think it's important for students to realize that even though, yes, the world is about them, it's not entirely about them. And for them to have the the generosity of spirit to understand that there are many students going through this process simultaneously, I think there's a there's something to be said for that. So cue up those calls, 866-993-8267, and we're going to go to one of the questions. Hi, my name is Maria. I am a high school English teacher, and my question is this. I teach advanced placement English literature and composition, and I want to know if students are recognized through the admission process for the amount of AP tests they take, AP courses they take, um, or if they pass or fail um, those tests. So really, I'm looking for anything on AP testing and getting into college. Thank you so much. Gosh, I wish Dave Coleman were with us right now, president of the College Board. He'd be thrilled to hear that there's a question about APs. And um, in response to that, Maria, for many schools, the AP level in certain subjects is going to be the highest uh, level of rigor available for a student um, to take in terms of their course selection. So yes, um, colleges want to see students challenging themselves. They want to see them pushing the envelope in terms of rigor, but it's also not just about having that AP nomenclature on the transcript, but the performance within that rigor. And that's important too. And while one can't necessarily fail an AP test, you know, on a scale of one to five, obviously students are going to want to perform college with strength. credit with a three or higher. Yep. Uh, four at or some higher. places. Yeah, at some places. Some, um, some you're not I getting think it, it anywhere. I think it really shows that a student is pushing themselves. And I think that, well, you tell me, Eric, as the dean of admission at Penn, do you, I, my thought is that you would love to see a student kind of availing themselves of the most sol- most rigorous curriculum available to them in high school, correct? We do. The, there's, a, there's a framing here as educators, as parents. I'm looking at a curriculum guide right now as students are mapping out, let's say, their four years. You have students come in and they're doing their yep. course planning for next year. Is what is appropriate? What level of rigor across the curriculum is appropriate? I do... I, I admire high school, secondary schools that will actually put an AP cap. 
Yeah, we do it, Dwight. D- okay, fantastic. Yeah. What And what is that? We typically don't see students taking more than three consecutive AP, sometimes four. Um, but, but more w- more of an exception. Uh, yeah. Does that uh, become w- a rule then? Or? It's, it's not as, well, first of all, it's the, the logistics of the scheduling that, oh, that plays a, a role point. in that's it. But it, for us, it's all about intentionality and balance. Well, we want exactly. students to really find that sweet spot between rigor and performance and not feel... Um, compulsive about it that's right um but that they're really taking these courses not just to show the ap but to understand and to absorb the curriculum that's right i mean kind of an analogy here it is an analogy actually is bench pressing okay physically fit you're talking about rigor me through this walk walk you through this rigor and performance (laughs) it's hey i could say throw 300 pounds on a bench press and there's no way i'm doing it right i'm going to fail i cannot do it and then at what level can we go down to saying, okay, now I'm really pushing myself mm-hmm. and exerting myself and there's positive results from that. And then when is it, it's like, oh yeah, there's, it's just the bar and it's like, okay, just keep throwing it around. And you're like, okay, what's right, the point? Right, what's the point So, you know, just some calibration I in think terms calibration of is a great word. what you're trying to put on top of yourself. But here's the X factor in this, Eric. And, you know, you know I love you madly, but here's the <laughs> but deal. But why are you talking about lifting? But no, I, I get that. Um, I get that metaphor. But here's the thing. The message that is sent to these students in media, in um in social interactions is that they have to go as hard as they possibly can. And that's why we have to be careful with our language. Yeah. Darn it, Eric, you do. Yeah, that's right. On the college side. Absolutely. You know, when your admit rates are under 9%, then who is going to get in, right? And what the what is the goal to be an admit rate of one percent? You know, I I think there's there's a balance on, on your side of the desk as well. And Maria, number one, thank you for the call. But really, actually, above that is thank you for being an AP English teacher. That's fantastic. And you're bringing your students through. And I'm sure they ask you to write letters of recommendation. And those words also help put into context whatever the result is, that grade in your course and even the AP result. Right. So thank you for the call, Maria. Should we take another call? Sure. Let's go for it. Hi, this message is for the process. My name is Lisa, and I graduated from college with my bachelor's degree over a decade ago, and I'm thinking about going back to school to get my master's, but it's been a while since I've been through the college experience and was just curious if you had any advice for a non-traditional student such as myself who's perhaps looking to get back into the college scene and, um, you know, where to start. Thank you so much. Fantastic, Lisa. I mean, when you really think about it, Eileen, the you know, learning is ongoing. Lifelong learners. There's credentialing, and there's just kind of that pursuit of knowledge. And you know, for for Lisa, having her undergraduate degree and now thinking of getting a master's degree, number one, I think that you know, students that go for a graduate degree, they're doing it for a real purpose. Right. And that can include love of learning. That could also include credentialing for their career path. Or it could mean a shift in career path. Well, that, absolutely. Now, that's, that's, a, that's a great example. So that could actually give you that opportunity to, you know, you've been working in a particular industry, and now you're really seeing what your, your real passion is. You know, when, when my father was growing up, he would have one career. That was it, right? You had one career. That's you right. got the gold watch after the un, unteen million years of service. You pretty much stayed with the same 
company, if not the same business right. sector. Right. Looking forward, our students, many of them don't even know the jobs that they're going to be vying for in the future because they don't exist yet. With the advent of technology, with the way things have shifted, those skill sets that are going to best prepare them are skill sets that they have to learn by going through. And whether that's problem solving and agility, um, creative thinking or thinking outside the box, I think they all are going to need to know how to work with people different from themselves and also how to communicate both in speaking and in writing. That's right? right. Those are so all the essentials. For, for Lisa, I give you such kudos for going back to school. But in direct response to your question, there are a number of institutions, there are many institutions that serve non-traditional students. And I think you would be well served to look in your local community. And it might be a community college or it might be a school like here in New York, CUNY, you know, City University of New York. Um, and there are admissions representatives that are knowledgeable and skilled at being able to walk you through what the different processes might be to best prepare yourself for a different master's program. You might have to go back to take some post-baccalaureate coursework or polish Maybe shore up, up one area. That's yeah, right. right. So I think the best place for you to go then would be to the graduate admissions offices at different institutions and let them explain to you what different pathways may exist at their institutions for non-traditional students. And I would start by taking a really good look at what is it that you hope to achieve with this master's. And, and in some ways, too, using the language of a master's degree, which is kind of in our graduate degree sort of mindset, is what does credentialing look like at this point as well? Right. And could some online learning, a certificate program, the master's degree may not be the degree that she needs to pursue. Perhaps it is, but really exploring all those because there's also different price points. Right. And there's wonderful online programs, whether it's Coursera, all these MOOCs that are out there, right? So many institutions are putting so much of their curriculum online, and many times it's for free. That's right. Um, so there are ample or nominal resources. Number or nominal for like a certificate. Right. And they're also great because they can be more flexible for somebody who is currently employed right. and is trying to balance out this shift in their path. And you know what? That really leads me to, for Lisa's question, is do I go full-time or part-time? Well, and that's going to be a are money executive issue, executive programs, right? and hands down, it's a money issue. Yeah. And I would really say, think a third and fourth time before you would actually leave the, the workforce to pursue a, a master's degree full time. Right. It, at least initially. You might shift into a full-time enrollment after Or maybe you... an employer will cover it, depending oh, on well, who they're working Oh, well, wouldn't that be great? Yeah, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what's our next message? Not sure. Let's hear it. Hi, my name is Judy, and I'm from Pennsylvania, and I have a question for the process. Um, my son is a high school junior, and he's interested in attending college at a technical school for audio engineering. The school is a year-long program. Uh, they do not require an SAT score. Would you recommend him taking the test anyway? And if he wanted to continue his education after the audio program, would he need the SAT score or would he take it at that point? Uh, thanks for your time. Bye-bye. Eric, I just have to say these questions are awesome and they're all so different. The only thing they have in common is, uh, you know, education. That's but right. they're really coming from all different vantage points, aren't they? They, they, they are. They are really informed. 
So for Judy, you know, it sounds as if her son has done his research. He knows, or at least his reflection and research, he knows that he wants to go into audio engineering, and that's a pretty specified career mm-hmm. area. Um, Actually, so- we should get him on the show. Oh, we totally. He could be Scott's assistant. <laughs> Yay, Scott. Um, Scott doesn't need an assistant. He's every no, Uber man. He, no, he's going right? to educate. It's oh, an he's going to educate. An internship. Totally. Okay, so here's my take on this. If he doesn't need to take the SAT, I'm not one for sitting for tests unnecessarily. Um, it, they also add a lot of anxiety for some people, and they are can come with a cost as well. Um, Instead, I think it might be helpful for um, Judy's son to talk to some career development people within the program that he's applying to and to perhaps do some investigative research of professionals in the field and see what pathways they took and what credentials they might need um, or he might need to advance in that area. What do you think, Eric? I, I, th- I think you're spot on. And then I think about institutions, especially with the last question about maybe graduate programs as well, but there's cooperative programs. So Penn is adjacent to Drexel University. Drexel University is adjacent to Penn in University City in Philadelphia. And so this, again, what does credentialing look like? What does what does experiential learning look like? Right. And it does come in different shapes. So number one, I wouldn't take the SAT, as she, as no. she asked. But then also how else can he be exposed to this type of of career and continue to grow in it too because the technology changes it's audio engineering which the I platforms would, change this co-op idea internships my husband's in film a lot of the learning is while doing right and who you've worked with on the last project etc and i think your point is well taken about the shifts in technology and remaining current with those we're, we're just showing that the process the show the process on Sirius XM Stars 109 is here for you 866 866- 8267 Please leave us messages and you too can hear your voice on Sirius XM Stars. Let's go to another question. Hi, this is Jared from Strong Island. My question is about prepaid college tuition. Are you aware of any college or colleges in the Northeast, uh, specifically maybe the tri-state area? that would allow me to prepay for my kids' college tuition. Thank you very much. What an interesting question. I've never heard that question before. And I, I'll i be honest, I don't know of any colleges that you can prepay. I know colleges, once you've admitted, you can be on a payment plan that could span the student's tenure at that institution. But to prepay before the child is even in college, not at a specific institution that I'm aware of. However, I do remember when my kids were young, um, investing in five two nines, um, which are college tuition savings programs. Really frames this question. You're absolutely right. So, what's your take on that, Eric? So, take you know, doing a little research on this. uh, There's, of course, you can, and thank you for for the call, Jared. Of course, there's a lot of different ways that you could find out this information. And what I was taking a look at as the father of younger children, Mm -hmm. that we're just trying to do what we can put put the money into the 529 at the rate that you can and how does that fit with you know all of your other <laughs> financial obligations quite honestly but even putting a little bit away and a caveat here i'm sure scott needs me to say this we are not accountants financial consultants or 
He said, I'm okay. I, 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 I don't say work for here. a bank. I don't work for a bank either. <laughs> so, but you know, there are some key questions. And so part of this is how does this fit with your overall savings plan mm-hmm. and any other expenses that you may have? And then, and this is really important with state budgets because a number of these 529 plans, to Jared's question, if it were to guarantee that you're not being exposed to the rate of inflation, that you're basically paying right. it now and then not being exposed to inflation. So there's a couple questions. Are you likely to send your child to that in-state school? That's so a big question. So right now, you know, you have to have that honest conversation and see whether that is really, really the plan. How fast is tuition going up in that state? Because if it's going up nominally, maybe you could actually, even with interest rates just slightly going up, make a little bit more money than locking it in right. with the prepaid plan. And then you really have to think about what the opportunities are for, you know, how, what if the state, what is the nature of the state's budget? Because if you're seeing that the state that you're thinking about, he asked about New York, is fighting for that budget to go through, you know, what's being what's being battled on each side of the aisle, basically? Right. I mean, is education at, being pulled out? And then well, look that at guarantee what's may happening not be in there. New York with, you know, Cuomo, with these great uh, scholarships dependent on a student's performance and full-time matriculation, right? So I think each state is going to have different rules and regulations. Um, I think you're you're right on target with really making sure that the questions that one asks suits what their plans are for education for their child. And even here, I'm talking about like, what's the marginal rate that you're going to get on one or the other? Sometimes there's too many options in front of you and just do it, okay? Yeah. Little just, Nike just, there, just do it. You need to make sure, put, put it away. Aside. Yeah. You're not going Earmark to. It. You're not going to regret that. You know, and then finally, usually these are tuition plans. There's still room and board, right? And other Books, expenses. So it doesn't costs. mean that everything is covered, even if some of those first three points that we made are all set. What do you think? Those are pretty cool questions. Really cool questions. Keep them coming, will ya? We love answering your questions. So leave us a voicemail at 866-993-8267 or shoot us an email at theprocess at SiriusXM.com. We're here to answer your questions. Trust me, we can talk, but would much rather make sure you have the information you need. Eileen, that's fantastic. Let's go to the next question. Hi, this is Kathy, and I have a couple of questions. Uh, first of all, could you explain exactly what factors are used when you're considering students for admission to college? Um, and are any of those more important than any others? Uh, could you just explain that a little bit? Uh, also, when would you recommend that students begin to work with their guidance counselors in high school of planning ahead to select colleges that would be appropriate for them? and the kinds of things that they would need to uh, to do to get into their to, uh, the college of their choice. Uh, should these conversations be initiated by the guidance counselor, or should the student initiate them? Thank you. Fantastic question. And this really covers the whole range. I mean, the question covers the whole range of the process. This is what we do. This is what we do. So what about the the, the one part about when do college counselors get engaged. And again, there's an assumption here that there is a college counselor in the school right. and Sometimes other resources may need to be you know, tapped, tapped into. Okay. So some schools will call it a guidance counselor. 
uh, many public schools. That's what a guidance counselor, one of the many responsibilities. responsibilities in addition to college counseling. Absolutely. And because a lot of them have very tight budgets, they might have a a much bigger caseload as well. And in response to Kathy's question, then I'm always for the student initiating content contact and asking those questions. Um, Most schools will start the conversation with their students in the junior year. That's not to say they won't speak with students prior to that. Most of the questions are geared towards course selection prior to the junior year. So sophomores always come in and talk to me in the spring semester about what they should take as a junior and again as a senior. But most of my colleagues on both the public school um, side as well as the independent school side would say junior year is when things really kind of kick in Mm -hmm. in terms of the process of um, introducing students to what they're going to need to complete for the application process and also having them think and reflect about different elements of the process, right, or of an application. And And what I'm really thinking about for Kathy here is we don't want the college process driving every choice that you know your child is making. This doesn't mean that choices that are being made in eighth, ninth, tenth, early part of the junior year, they roll up to the other part of the question in terms of what colleges look at, mm-hmm. what you've been involved in, how you've impacted your community, what the courses are and grades that you've received, probably need a little bit more guidance around the testing and making sure you're mapping that out. So I think some of the student initiation, not only to speak to the college counselor, but then also put together a plan. Right. And even just going you know, online and listening to, to, to our show, you can start scoping out, well, what are some of the questions that I should be asking and what does that timeline look like? And one of the main ones for me is really the course curriculum. What I'm taking in 9th, 10th, 11th grade, because choices need to be made along the way there. For extracurricular activities and co-curricular activities, those, those pieces of your life that may be beyond the classroom, but then also connected to the classroom is I, I saw a friend and colleague as I was heading to the, the train station today in Philadelphia, and her daughters are out of college now. And we had like that quick 30 seconds. She's heading mm-hmm. over to Penn's campus. I'm heading you know, to the train to get up here to New York. And she's like, just let them know. It's like, you know, it worked. It comes together for these students. It does. It's what they're passionate about. And she went in being a writer, and now she's doing digital content. You know, one really loved numbers, and now is going to be an accountant. And there was some seed there. So I think to Kathy's question is, what are some of those seeds that you're really trying to plant? And then how are they going to be developed? You know, and you, you focus on curriculum. And Kathy asked, what is the what are the ingredients of a college application? The most important ingredient in a college application is going to be the academic transcript. And if you think about it, as a ninth grader, what I want my students to do is to get their footing academically because that's where this all starts and this is where it all ends that's right right so yes add on those extracurricular activities but make sure that those don't um, get in the way of your academic performance yes testing is important but that shouldn't overshadow one's academic performance and you're not doing it to get into college well, you are in a way, but what my goal is for their for them to think about in the headset that I want them to be in is you're doing it to be a better version of yourself, to learn about yourself, to learn about the world. It's growth. Exactly. And and to continue learning. I'm still learning, right? Every and day. And I'm really old. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. And Kathy, listen listen to the next half of the show because I think we're going to cover some parts of your question. We're going to head to break, but give us a call, 866-993-8267. The process will be right back. 
You're listening to The Process on Sirius XM Stars, offering guidance and insight into the college admissions process. Here again are Eric J. Furda and Eileen Cunningham-Fikens. Welcome back to The Process on Sirius XM Stars. Eric Furda, Dean of Admissions at the University of Pennsylvania, here with Eileen Cunningham-Fikens, Director of College Counseling at the Dwight Englewood School. The question of the day again, now we've had two songs, Cashmere mm-hmm. by Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. Is there anybody out there? Pink Floyd. What Sirius XM station would you hear these two songs? And I think the third song may just seal the deal. Yep. And give us an email at the process at SiriusXM.com. And Scott Marlowe, our great producer, director, man about town, is going to think of some <laughs> swag for, for you, our winner. So in the process, we cover all different aspects of the college admissions process. We'll get David Charlotte on again to talk about financial aid. Haven't had Charlotte in studio in a little while. But what we'd like to do with the second half of the show here in the last weekend of February, over the month of January, I went out on the road as the dean of admissions at the University of Pennsylvania and basically spoke to sophomore and junior parents. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the students were there, and you said earlier in the show, Eileen, sometimes you separate parents and students from one another. Sometimes students are there, and sometimes it's it's just for a parent audience. And as I said when I was out on the road in January, I love these programs because it's the one opportunity I really feel that I have – and with this radio show, to share this knowledge about putting together a college list, what you should really think about, and not just go to the end, like, am I going to get in? And all the kind of stress that could be associated with that. What's the thoughtfulness that needs to go through? I agree with you. That's why I love doing this, right? Because it is a process. It's not, you're not just flipping a switch. That's right. Right? You have to go through it, and you learn about yourself as you go through the process. You learn about what your goals and your aspirations are, and what those areas are that you need to improve. Right. So um, as somebody who has hosted many of those college evenings, let's for... give a shout out to our colleagues at the Branson School. Love it. As yep. well as at Menlo School, both in the San Francisco area. We have Matt Lane, who is at Branson and Matt Mateel, who's at Menlo. I saw them last month. I'll tell them to listen to the show, get their shout outs, you know, like their, you know, their family members can listen to it. And wow, I heard your name on Sirius (laughs) XM Stars 109. You're famous. You're famous. Is there anybody out there? We're infamous. That's right. right. So they put together these programs when I visited along with a couple other college colleagues. That was really fantastic. Always great to bounce off ideas with the head of admissions at a a large state system like UCLA and traveling with a small liberal arts college. And, you know, we design these programs on the high school side so that we do hear from a variety of voices. And I think it's always refreshing to understand and to acknowledge the fact that different colleges have different missions. That's right. And they have different, I hate to use the word agendas, but different cultures and different means of going through the application process. They might be looking for different, you know, qualities or characteristics in applicants. But at the same time, we are all joined professionally, right? So I know that, you know, and I'm sure Matt and Matt would agree that the college application landscape has shifted dramatically in this, I'd say the last 10 years and even in the last three years, right? So one question that I'd I'd love for you to answer from your perspective, and what do you think the major shifts or major changes have been, Eric, in the college landscape, the college application landscape most recently? Well, I think what's interesting, I mean, we could always say, you know, a certain period of time and 10 years is one of those periods of time, which when you go back and think around 2008, 2009, where was the, the global economy? 
Okay. And so decision-making during the Great Recession and A, how much does college cost, but then B, also what are the jobs that we need to get into and what does the educational you know, credentialing and landscape look like there? And just putting it together in this larger macro lens, I think, is really important. Certainly with any of our lives, technology has shifted dramatically, which helps students experience schools in ways that we didn't when we were visiting colleges. Virtual tour? What is that? Exactly. But then also, you know, in terms of being able to submit applications, and I do think that there's do a little myth busting here. The average number of applications through the Common Application Platform by individual students, the average number is five. And I think there's a sense, and you even said at Dwight Englewood, you'd like your students to apply to seven to nine, seven to nine schools. Maybe. Now you could be using the coalition application. Some schools have their own platforms. If you're in Texas, you use the Apply Texas platform. So regionally, depending on the where UCs, you are, the, right. the UCs as well. So you know, technology has definitely shifted all parts of our lives. And then also, I think for the students, is how they experience their their education as well has changed. What's their sense of immediacy? What's their sense of what type of content they're interested in? What jobs do I feel like I need to go mm-hmm, into? Mm-hmm. We've seen a surge in terms of interest in computer science. And from a kind of a, a jobs perspective, you could understand that while still wanting to have a step back to say to students, but what do you enjoy doing? What do you enjoy learning? And still having an eye towards what I would call more of a broad-based liberal arts and science foundation, even alongside with something that may seem a little bit more directed towards the economy. You know, it's interesting hearing you speak about technology because on my side of the desk, what I see as the major shift in technology is the ease to research colleges, the ease by which students can apply to colleges, right? And so that has resulted within the last 10 years in different peaks and valleys of numbers of applicants or applications per student. And, you know, I'd say about five years ago, we'd hear these horror stories about, you know, one student applying to 33 or 40 colleges. But you can't fill fill out that many supplements. Well, not only that, but it's just, to me, that's like, you know, it's application fatigue. And what's the real purpose? You're you're only going to one school ultimately that next fall or whatever that next term is. So many times in front of, in front of audiences, in front of, audiences through a junior parent night like we're simulating right now or on campus, on Penn's campus when I'm speaking at homecoming or alumni weekend is, so if you apply to eight schools mm-hmm. and you get into mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. how are you feeling? And I look out at the audience and they just feel like completely dejected. The air goes out of their lungs. It's just you like- You mean t- only one out of the eight? Yes. You get okay. into one of the All schools right. that you've, uh, of the eight that you apply to. Okay. And then I ask exactly what you just said. How many places are you going to go to next year? Right. So there you go. Now, more realistically, I think you're going to get into maybe four, five. It depends on the composition of the list, one would hope. And that's what we need to talk about, I think, within the context of this sophomore junior night. And I'm going to use a more personal example is, you know, when you hear college admissions folks talk about fit and match, you're like, okay, here they go with their euphemisms of holistic admissions, fit, match. It's like, what do you really mean? (laughs) And, you know, for many families, they've already have made some choices about education, either because of the school district they moved to, Mm -hmm. so perhaps going to private school. Mm -hmm. And and, and for many, it was, well, this is where I live and this is where I'm going to school. And I understand that as well. We just made a choice, uh, my wife and I, and as a family, for middle school. 
you know, when you're sending your child to daycare and kindergarten, it's kind of like, well, what's proximate to my house and job? So logistically, we could actually manage all of this. Mm-hmm. Even with a 10-year-old son, by the time we were looking at middle schools, he was a partner in this. And I, sure. I truly mean that. Yeah. What was he interested in? What did he learn about himself in, you know, just basically kindergarten through through fourth and fifth grade? So there's another voice there. So being able to look at what type of environment, and I ask families to do this, Eileen, in this type of format is describe the college environment that you're interested in. Write down three or four words that would actually capture, not saying, you know, Penn and the school. Not that's listing school. the name not of the school, name, but, but urban, suburban, campus, non-campus. That, that's right. Large, small, you know, innovative. Getting underneath that. Co-op based. I know I want to study based. in something. Right, right. So in a particular area. So you have to write those things down. And it goes back to even the question that was asked earlier in the show is you have to start mapping some of this out for yourself. Right. And I love index cards. You know, old guy here, love index cards. (laughs) Write down those ideas, (laughs) but carry that index card around with you because now I'm on the umpteenth college visit of the week. And you know what I'm going to plug right here, Eileen? Oh, let me guess. Your blog. My blog. Mm. My blog. Page 217. Mm -hmm. Page 217. Mm -hmm. So... Just this past week, I brought a family up to Steitler Hall on Penn's campus because they were just running a couple minutes late. And so I brought them up to where we're having the information session. And then, you know, with the large audience that was visiting over President's kind of weekend, I, you know, decided to kind of butt into the information session a little bit on the on the admission officer and said, okay, you all are visiting a number of schools this week. I want you to keep three words in mind, three of the, the, the four C's that come from the page 217 blog, culture, community, curriculum. And as you're visiting a half dozen places, I want you to be able to say, so what's the culture of Penn? Right. What's the culture of these schools that I'm visiting? What's underneath it? How is it relevant? Community, people, and spaces. How do they intersect? I think that's great. And, and to get away from, no offense, but like the name brand. Absolutely. On the sweatshirt. Because then you you're know? just going to have eight schools that have admit rates that are really low and... Zombie apocalypse. That's yep. it. That's okay. it. Um, if we could get back just a second to some Please. of these shifts. Absolutely. I'm seeing a major shift from admissions to enrollment management. From my perspective, there seems to be an incredible emphasis on early applications, whether that's early action, which is non-binding, or early decision, which is binding. And where I see this playing out is students coming back in the fall of their senior year, late August, early September, that the entire process has been, you know, pushed forward so that they have a much more um, concrete idea of where they want to apply, and they should I think they should, um, if they can, and if the, if it's in the cards for them to take advantage of different application types, whether that's an early action, which allows them to apply early and find out a little bit earlier, because that could then shift the rest of the list to which they're applying. Same thing with early decision, but I'm seeing many, many schools adding these early programs. Particularly ED2, early decision ED, two. Well, if it was a traditional uh, EA school, early, early action, action school, okay. adding binding. an early decision one and an early decision two, which then begs the question, who's applying regular? And who's going to get in regular if most of these schools are filling upwards of 50% of their entering class through early application types, right, or portals? So it's just an, an interesting 
like when I was growing up, yes, there were kids who applied early decision, but not the overwhelming majority of the students with whom I went to high school applied early decision. Whereas now at my school, 97, 98% of the students with whom I work are applying either early decision or early action or rolling priority. That's a significant shift. And we know that it means much a much different uh, calendar and, and process on your side of the desk. It, it, it does. I think that there's there's a couple different pieces there. One is how do we, as as an institution, manage our enrollment, uh-huh. whether you have an enrollment management model or not, which gets into financial aid, retention of the class, yep. graduation rates, four to six years. Really thinking about the full you know spans of the of the educational opportunity for the student, while also, and I'm sure you feel it on your side. The thing that I feel strongly about for Penn is we've been very consistent, mm-hmm. and we've had an early decision one plan for a long time. We let people know that that's what we respond to to build about half of our class. As long as people can know what the rules of engagement are, I think then you can plan around those pieces. You can strategize to a certain degree, a certain degree. Yeah. Right. And I think you're right. And I think all these shifts are indicative of the fact that there has been such an emphasis on the college side to attract a really high profile student and to kind of lock in those numbers. Um, Because let's face it, as an admissions professional, you're answering to a lot of voices, too, whether that's the president of the university or your board of trustees or your alumni base, et cetera. But it's interesting. I don't I don't know if many people, unless they're going through the process as a student or as a parent for the first time, are aware that there are so many different factors that play into this process. And that's what we're here to do. Right. We're here to try and demystify it for families and to give them some food for thought as to how they can engage and enter this process sanely. Well, we want to have your questions over the month so we can hear from you at the last weekend of March, sitting here, 866-993-8267. like to plug a book by Dr. Adam Price, He's Not Lazy, Empowering Your Son to Believe in Himself. I'm almost finished with this book. He's That's in the, the new- title, not a comment on Adam Price. No, right? no, exactly. That's the title <laughs> of the book. We want to hear from you, but that's the process, and we'll be back the same time the last weekend of the month. Have a great one.